for joining us today on Dead Headspace. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough, with my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Hello. And we have V. Castro, author of Hairspray and Switchblades, as well as Maria the Wanted. Hello, everyone. And Sonora Taylor, author of Little Paranoias and Seeing Things. Hi. You two are the founders of Fright Girl Summer. What, uh, what was the origin story of that? How did it all start? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. You guys all follow me on um, Twitter and uh, on Instagram. And I've always been very vocal about diversity and, um, and inclusion, uh, getting women in horror a bit more airtime and also uh, women of color because I feel we're often overlooked. So I thought, you know what? I see all of these men being shouted out. I see all of these, um, you know, uh, books, horror books uh, with big deals, always getting shouted out. You know, there are, there, there's, the indie horror uh, community is, is so rich and so cool and there's so much out there. And I just thought, you know what? We, there needs to be a space just for us. There needs to be a space where um, we are included and we feel welcome and, and we can promote each other and promote books and and uh, just have our own thing going on. So I um, I tweeted about it. it just And then uh, Sonora was like, oh, Fright Girl Summer. I'm like, yes, that's it. And then it just kind of went from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and from there, um, Violet had also mentioned uh, offhand, it's like, you know, if anyone wants to help put this together or, you know, I'm, I'm coming up with ideas. If you have ideas, let me know. And so I messaged her saying, hey, you know, if you want me to help, I'm happy to do it. Um, you know, with anything going on with it. So, um, you know, like this is this is uh, Violet's baby and I mostly help with the website as well as like curating some of the lists and reaching out to people to feature. So it's been a great opportunity and I'm really happy to be a part of it because I think it seems to be satisfying a need in the horror community. There's been a lot of really positive response to it and I'm glad that like we're here and ready in this moment and and you know we can we can say like so many moments it's part it's a part of and i think it's just good to have it here and encourage reading more marginalized voices uh through the summer and beyond absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> v i didn't mean to cut you off go, no, go no, right no. on ahead no i was just saying absolutely i thought it was funny uh you Hey, great minds. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a compliment of the highest order. All right. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> so um, I, I, there's so much on the featured on the website, and you just kind of skimmed the surface there. Um, I'd love to start with the reading lists. Now, um, Sonora, you mentioned that you were kind of in charge of curating that. Um, well, I what helped. Else? Okay, you helped. Sorry. Um, yeah, that's okay. What what else went into that process? Because they're huge lists. Yeah, so I know I just thought to myself, well, what are some good books by uh, black women, by women of color, by queer women that I can add? Uh, because Violet said that we wanted to include all women, um, we also thought of like ways to include um, white women, but you know. Not it's like, and here are white women, you know, but we do have a category for like independently published because I do think that's, you know, that's important because like, 
you know, there, there are white women authors out there that maybe don't need quite as much publicity, you know, like, like the big names and stuff. But mostly, you know, we just wanted to have a big, diverse reading list so that people, you know, because we're challenging people to read three books from from those categories, uh, you know, in any way, shape or form they like, although we're highly encouraging, you know, people to take part in reading like, you know, three books by women of color or three books by black women. But, you know, we wanted to make sure we just had like a nice, big, inclusive list. And um, so it started where, you know, I wrote down some books that I liked as well as books I was interested in reading. And then Violet did the same. So we just combined the texts together and put it into the list. Um, Violet, do you want to talk more about that? Yeah. And also, you know, um, uh, we don't know everyone. And uh, so we also said, hey, uh, if you're an author and uh, you have a book, if you uh, have a blog or if you want to submit a short story, uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, get in touch with us because uh, we can, you know, we know who we interact with on Twitter and Instagram and, and uh, you know, who we see putting out books, um, things that come up on Goodreads. But, you know, we're not we don't know everybody. So we want we also encourage authors to say, hey, we, I have this release and or, hey, I have this or this. So, um it's just kind of grown organically really uh, between Sonora and I just um, books that we know of authors we know of, but also people who are like, Hey, this person or this book or people who get in touch and say, Hey, I have a book. And, and, and that's how it, it's kind of going is, um, you know, we, we are encouraging people to um, speak up if they have something um, and uh, just trying to uh, be inclusive Um and, um, yeah, just giving everybody a little time uh, because it can feel uh, like it's a small space when really it's not. Uh, it just so happens that um, certain voices, certain publishers, certain uh, well, I mean, publishing itself, as we've seen in the last few months, is something that has been in need of a reckoning. And I think the time is it's about to happen. And, uh, you know, there's no no going back right now. And it's good to see. It feels good. I know it's exhausting. I know people are tired. But you know what? Things don't things that need to change uh, are not easy. And so, you know, this, I hope, will be part of that change. I agree. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Um, sorry, kind of, I just had, I just went off there. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> I, I, we actually, it, we, cool. we actually love that. We love yeah, if it's cool, I'm going to set you up to go off again. Um, <laughs> so I, my, my thought, and I've seen this a lot, and to be honest, to an extent, I've, I've, I've been guilty of it myself, of um, people who basically say, um, I will read, um, I'm looking for a good story. And if it comes from a person of color, that's excellent. Uh, but if it doesn't, that's okay too. Um, so I'm curious, I want to hear you guys kind of talk about that attitude. You, you want to go Sonora first? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, I actually have an answer to that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I hear that a lot and it's like, you know, I, I think it's flawed at best and, you know, it's a willing blinder at worst. It's like the people who say, you know, oh, I don't see color. And I mean, that's just not true. But um, also, like, 
one of the problems with that statement is is it's not taking to in, into account how we've been conditioned since elementary school to mostly read things by white authors, um, especially white male authors. And then, you know, so often when you see like the diversity checkbox on a list, and I say that with heavy air quotes, like it's like, here's a woman or like, here's one black man. And then the rest is like all white men. And um, and I think even people who have the best of intentions will fall into these patterns of reading what they grew up reading or what they were told to read, or I guess I shouldn't say what, like who they were told to read. Like a few years ago, I actually made a New Year's resolution to not read any books by white men for a year because I was noticing I would like try and, you know, get change my habits by saying, well, once a month, I'll make sure I read something by not a white man. But after I would do that, I would read like four or five books in a row by white men. And it wasn't coming out of any malicious intent, but it's just the way I'd been programmed to read. So, you know, I did, I did that for a year where I didn't read anything by white men. And it really helped like realign my reading habits. I mean, you know, it's it can always be better. I'm always looking for ways to diversify my reading, but it really helped me not only be better about seeking out these authors and these stories, but also I was introduced to so many new authors because I needed to do some research. You know, I couldn't just default to like, oh, hey, you know, Neil Gaiman has a new book coming out or, oh, hey, like Stephen King has a new book, you know, <laughs> like I, I had to like do some digging and as such, I found like some really interesting voices. And I also found out like one side effect of it is I would go back and read things by white male authors, even ones that I really liked. And I'd be kind of irritated with the writing because of just how cliche it was or how like archaic it was, especially with depictions of, of women and of all people of color. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's 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 just kind of an easy thing to say, like, oh, I just go for the story, I just go for this. But I think being um, not white, I know that's not true. Um, and for me, it's kind of the opposite. Where um, I remember I I was reading um, the what was it the the passage, you know, the vampire book. Yep. Justin Cronin, I think. Yeah. So I was reading that and I just, it got to the point, like the first one I enjoyed and then I, I, I finished the series and it got to a point where I'm just like, oh my God, this got this dude, like what, what, what's his deal? This is like, I don't like this. This just doesn't, Christ. <laughs> I just kind of, I, I made me stop in my tracks and say, you know what? I can write a vampire book. I think a vampire book would be cool if it was about this. And then I just, you know, that was when the seed was kind of planted, but I didn't really have an idea. Um, but to a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, there's this one, there's just one way to write a vampire. There's just one way. And you, I think it's just programming and you just have to deprogram your brain and by saying, oh, I just look at the story, I just look at this, or I just, I want, I want to look at something blindly, you can't. And just as people of color can't blindly go through life, they can't just say, oh, 
I'm going to be picked because I'm the best or I'm the smartest or I'm that is not true. So it's just it's just it's very flawed. It sounds like you're saying many words that describe one thing, which I'm I've sadly just come to the realization of recently, which is white privilege. <laughs> mm. It is. It is. It is. And it, it really is. Um, you know, when you kind of um, see yourself represented all the time, if you see uh, the uh, the ha- kind of your background represented all the time, um, it, it's kind of like, oh, everything's OK. But if you don't, um, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. And sometimes those realities of people of color, of women, they're not nice stories. And, um, you know, the only one who can tell that story is a woman or or a person of color. Um, And uh, so I think it's important to listen to those voices. Yeah, and that strikes me. I'm thinking I just finished Maria the Wanted and I, I don't think just any woman could have written that story. <laughs> I think it takes a very, very, uh, it takes you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is, a, she, it's, a, it's a vampire story that's, you know, not very gothic set uh, in, you know, dark stormy weather. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, she's, she's in the sun and she's kicking ass. Well, if vampires were real, why would they be isolated to one area, you know? Yeah. It's or, funny. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to add, you know, you, you put into words, I think, one of the reasons I loved your story so much, even though I didn't think to mention it when I, you know, wrote my Goodreads review. It just, yeah, it's not like, in addition to not being a um, a white vampire, she also is in the sun and kicking ass instead of like, you know, I, I do get kind of tired of the Victorian era vampire, you know, it's, or like the old Louisiana vampire from Anne Rice. It's like they don't always have to be from the 19th century and holding up white Victorian moors, you know. So, yeah, I think that's a great that's I, I if I were you, I'd highlight that part as well. Like just being like this is modern and like <laughs> Well, I, you know, and I would love to finish the series and one of my goals is to um, find a publisher, take it on. But I don't know if you remember in the book or catch it, but Adam, one of the white vampires and who's very, very old, um, he was, you know, created in like the 13th century. Um, he, he made a bulk or well, a bulk of his family fortune um, was built as he goes on life uh, uh, through slavery and he has to come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I did that on purpose because, uh, you know, there are a lot of huge family fortunes in the world that were built um, on blood. So um, I, I had him, I had that character created that way for a reason. I actually just, uh, I got 30 page. I tried my best to finish it in time. I got the oh. books. I got oh. Hairspray and Switchblades uh, <laughs> mailed to me uh, a few days ago. I tried finishing it. I got 30 pages left. To piggyback on something Brennan said, um, maybe a man could write that, but 
I, I find it hard to kind of fathom. Uh, there's just certain details you write in there where I'm just thinking like, huh, never would have thought of that. And I know I don't speak for every guy, but I mean, it, he's right. Like, and you're right. You guys are right. Only, only women can write certain things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, Sonora's um, without condition, you know, she writes about a female serial killer and the relationship between the daughter and mother, but it's, you know, it's those details in the relationships and, and the thoughts and what happens with your body that, yeah, you need to have some of those experiences. Um, and that's why own voices is incredibly important. So, um, you know, I recently showed some books by trans women and for, I'm like, yeah, people should read these because it's their voices, their experience, and they should be telling it. And, you know, we should be hearing them and seeing them for who they are and um, interested in their stories. So uh, and I think through storytelling, we can understand each other better. It's about listening. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have learned a lot ever since I really dove into the horror, indie horror scene. Um because I'm a, I'm a white dude from uh, Massachusetts, and I'm Irish, so I fit the bill for but a few thousand other guys in that area. So <laughs> that's, that's what I grew up with. I, I was born in Holyoke, so I'm laughing extra hard at that. <laughs> oh, wait, you're – holy shit, you're, you're a local. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I lived there until I was four, and then we moved to Leesburg, Virginia. So, you know, I grew up – you know, outside of Massachusetts, but my family's still there, so. (laughs) I grew up in a small town called Bridgewater, and it's just, like, Portuguese, Italians, and, um, and Irish people, and that's, that's what it was, and that's all I knew for, like, the first 26 years of my life, and, uh, you're, you're 100% right, V, that reading books, it definitely, it teaches you, like, okay, brain, you can expand, you can learn more, this is how other people think, I love it. And your book, Hairspray and Switchblades, is like it's it, it's super original, but it's just like it, it made me think of shapeshifters in a different light, and I like that. And no, oh, thank <laughs> you. Just made me want to read more of your stuff. And uh, I hear, I hear. Violet, I also want to add with Hairspray and Switchblades that I do appreciate the way you wrote a sex worker as well, because that's something that is not handled well in horror at all really you know there are exceptions but you did a wonderful job oh thank you well um you know my uh i have a short story collection that will come out probably in like a year and a half and uh there's a the final porn star is a story in there so i it's a new story (laughs) it's 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 the final girl trope but done differently. <laughs> I love that title. And if I, I could, before I can't we, wait for it to come out. Uh, me and Brennan t- were talking about that. He'll probably have, he'll, he'll have a question about that later on at some point. But before we branch out, just a, um, to piggyback on Sonora's point about sex workers, um, I know firsthand, uh, well, not firsthand, I know someone that, does know from firsthand experience that um, she was working in the city and she 
was talking to the cops in this particular city about how certain uh, sex workers were being treated, which was pretty horrible. They they were getting choked by this pretty much a guy that should have been in prison but wasn't. And the cops just laughed and said that's what she she probably deserved it. And it's pretty gross when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. Um, Brennan, how about you take the lead so I don't cut you off with a bunch of other ramblings that I have. <laughs> You know, if I'm honest, piggybacking off a couple points, I'm. you said earlier, Patrick, you said, uh, I don't think a man could have written hair, Hairspray and Switchblades. And I think if that was the case, it would be very entertaining, but for all the wrong reasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> out, of, out of almost any other book I can think of, that's, it's, that's, that's satire right there. Uh, well. I do want to know more about um oh man I I'm, I apologize if I fuck up his name uh Tyrone wasn't that the um oh yeah Ty uh, yeah Tyson yes oh shit yeah I'm sorry Tyson they um, are yeah him and his was it his boyfriend Jimmy. Or... yeah Jimmy his boyfriend Jimmy the DJ I'm just throwing this out there I'd be <laughs> a fan of finding out more about their story because those guys are entertaining I, I you know what I love them both I was like you know what they're I want to have like a gay couple that are better, you know, in love. They're just normal, just normal people in a relationship doing the yeah. best they can, just working. And that's that's kind of, I think, um, another, again, why it's important for women to tell their stories, because, uh, you know, our experiences uh, are often sensationalized and made into something they're not. And um were exploited and humiliated for, you know, the sake of a plot, but let women tell those stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's really important. And um, it helps, like, <clears throat> I know there's probably a bunch of guys like me that, like, we have a good heart, but, like, we don't know this stuff until someone tells us. And you could say, like, go ask around and stuff, but sometimes we don't know where to to look so fortunately i have a lot of awesome women to help me like yeah. be educated so it i think that that's a great thing and more people like you and sonora speaking up and doing this whole um this whole summer reading list the whole fright girl summer everything involved in it uh it's probably gonna inspire a few women that are like you know what i'm gonna speak my mind and that that's powerful absolutely yeah we hope so yeah, and a really good example of that is, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get into what else Fright Girl Summer offers besides just the reading list, which, by the way, we could probably fill up like two hours just talking about the reading list. <laughs> um, but one thing is posting uh, free fiction. And one of the stories you guys just posted was by Cassie Daly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Who I... I'm thinking that anybody who has, you know, ever been on horror Twitter knows who that is. Um, and, and, you know, she will post from time to time. I'm working on a writing thing, but I'm nervous to share it. And it was so cool to see her say, this is my opportunity to share this with the world. I'm going to put it out there for free and for you guys to make that happen. Uh, and such a great response. Yeah, I mean, we we loved that she submitted her story to us, and um, we loved her story. It was really well written. I really enjoyed it. 
Um, you know, a lot of the things I want to say about it would be spoiling the story. So I would just, you know, encourage people to go to frightgirlsummer.com and go read it themselves along with the other stories we're hosting. But yeah, you know, I understand that it, how, you know, hard it can be to submit something and hope to hear, you know, back from it. Like, and, you know, I'm just glad that, that people are reaching out with their fiction and I hope more people will do so. Um, and besides just the free fiction, I think you guys had like four or five stories up there right now. There's also uh, places for artists to submit um, work to be showcased within the community, a uh, place for people to write articles. Um, video readings, book readings, things like that, uh, highlights of different uh, releases, book releases that are coming out this summer. Uh, I want to hit the article thing real quick. Uh, do you want to share with us what kind of articles you are looking for? Uh, honestly, uh, I think uh, with what's happened, everything with Pride, with uh, the Black um, Lives Matter movement, I think we're pretty open. I know Sonora is really open to, we've discussed it. You know, it's, it's supposed to be a, an open, safe, free space. Um, obviously no, no homophobes or racists allowed, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, marginalized genders are, are also welcome. We want, we want it to be a place where people can just, um, speak and because uh, I feel uh, publishing and literary magazines, they can be intimidating or it takes forever to hear back. I, I totally get that. But mm -hmm. um, once again, this is to help people uh, shine, to help them feel to find their voice or if they really want to say something about what's happening with their lives. Yes, say it. We want to hear you. And that's the whole point is for people to be heard and seen and uh, to come together um, if people need support, you know, and that they want to and writing an essay or a, a poem or a short story is their way of doing that. Then, you know, we are we're there for them. And and uh, I think that's that's important, especially people from marginalized communities to know that they have a support system. And to add to that, I know uh, one of the reasons I was glad uh, that essays and nonfiction were part of what we were asking for is because, you know, being a film studies student and a cultural studies student, I love critical analysis of pop culture. And I would love to hear from people in the horror community, especially uh, women of color, black women, queer women, like get their analysis of texts, get their analysis of, of um, a movie, you know, of a genre, you know, just something that kind of examines and that uh, examines a piece or multiple pieces, maybe an author in that regard. Cause I just think that, you know, there's a lot of room for that. And I know previously Violet and I were, were speaking and she mentioned how, um, Right now, like there's a lot of um, on the public uh, Stoker Award recommendations list, you have like the nonfiction, the short nonfiction section. And one of the most prominent magazines that's listed in that section, I believe, Violet, did you say they've never had published nonfiction from a non-white author? Well, I haven't seen it 
recently. They they might have historically, but I, okay. I'm looking. I'm waiting for more. <laughs> right. Um, but in general, yeah, it was kind of like, uh, okay, I'm looking. I'm looking. Uh, I just feel. Um, I uh, magazines, literary journals, publishers need mm-hmm. to be better at specific like inviting people of color women of color uh queer um authors to to submit because you can say oh well uh we don't publish it because we don't get those submissions well you know if if you don't see someone publishing them you're going to you're going to not feel welcome right you know i mean you're you're just not. Um, if I pass by a bar and I see, you know, only a, a certain people, I'm gonna think, oh gosh, uh, I'll be the only one in there. I, mm, I I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm not welcome. Maybe it's not a bar for me. Maybe there's a reason why. Uh, you know. So I think there needs to be something that's really says, hey, this is we we want to welcome you. This is what we're looking for. And, um, you know, it's since, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement started, it's been really great to see people saying, you know what, uh, we've been closed to submissions, but we're opening back up for black writers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've and, and I think that is amazing to say explicitly, you are welcome. We want you here. That has to be said and done. And, you know, once again, it's a privilege to if you if you think that, oh, why wouldn't you feel welcome? Well, why wouldn't you feel? There's a reason. That's very well said. And it's it's absolutely something that I hadn't really considered before. Um, and I, I think I've seen a lot of that same thing that you talked about with uh, submissions opening geared towards um, whether it's people of color or women of color specifically um, lately. And I think that going forward, I'm very hopeful that it's not just the trendy thing to do right now, the thing to do right now in response that we will see, you know, these fantastic submissions that have a unique voice that this anthology or this publisher never put anything out like that before and received a positive response and is kind of looking to do that, looking to keep that going, looking to say, this is what I've been missing. Let's, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so bloodbath magazine, for example, had a, um, a vampire, they were looking for vampire stories and they specific, then they came out for their submissions where, which I don't know if they've closed yet, um, but I think they might have extended it and said, hey, we want those stories. We want um, vampire stories written by black writers. And I think that's great, you know, that they're like, our submissions are open. Hey, come on. The doors are open and that needs to be done more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you I don't think people realize how important that is. Even it's very small. So, for example, um, Eddie Generous with Unnerving, he specifically the 
first um, part of Rewind or Die, it was only open to women for the first few months. And then he opened it to the general um, <clears throat> the general audience or population. But people, act- people had a problem with that. And I was like, why? Like, was it, was it only it white guys? I don't know. But I, <laughs> that's a fair <laughs> question. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't even care. But the fact is, like, hold on, you'll get your time. But it, it's a, it was a very small, very easy thing to do. It costs you nothing to do that. Um, uh, so those little things mean a lot, and they go really far, I think. And perpetual, was, motion, perpetual Motion Machine, Max Booth III, uh, I think it was yesterday or this morning. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome, and he's – I mean, that's a hell of a publishing company too. I, I would love my name in that. Who won it? It's awesome to see that he's doing that. I also wonder if, like, I, I actually, well, I don't wonder, it's my hope. I, the only reason I say I wonder is um, I've never been an editor of an anthology. But I do think that there should also be more of a commitment not only to put out these calls and really reach out to um, non-white writers, but there should also be a commitment to not go to print if you only have white writers, like, you know, expand your search. Because what I hear a lot of as well is, well, we put out the call and nobody who was not white submitted anything or no women submitted anything. And instead of just releasing it anyway and perpetuating, you know, the eternal whiteness of these anthologies or, or the eternal maleness, it's like, well, Assess why and maybe work harder to reach out before you go to print. That would be my recommendation. That's fair. And you know what? I actually just bought um, it's all, it's all black female author anthology last night. It's on your uh, summer list. It's uh, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this. Uh, Sikorix. Sikri- yes, yes, yes. <laughs> am I yes, messing? Yes, am yes, I yes, fucking? Sikorix, yes. <laughs> right? Sikorix's daughters. Is it Sycorax? Sycorax's daughter, I believe oh, it's man. called. Okay. Yeah, oh, Patrick, we were I both way off. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it's Sonora. Do you have your computer in front of you? I do. I can pull it up real quick. I believe it's Sycorax's daughter. That's a that's a doorstopper. It's uh, almost 600 pages, but it's, I'm yeah. really looking towards reading it. And uh, you know who turned me on to that? Um, Rhonda J. Garcia, because I talked yeah, to her. Yeah, she's amazing. She yeah. Is, I love her. She's great. I talk with her on Twitter sometimes. It's only been recent, but she's, like, super nice. And uh, I'm pretty sure she said uh, in her it's in her bio that she's got 11 kids. And I got only one. My, I don't know how. <laughs> I know you got three. I don't, I, she, I don't know how you guys do it. Uh, um, well, I was speaking with Sonora yesterday, and <laughs> basically two of them hijacked the <laughs> <laughs> And I've spent, like, half the time, like, over my shoulder looking around because they just uh, were in and out. So, yeah, it's <laughs> uh, – I, I think it's crazy. Like, I – I go to work. My wife right now, due to the COVID-19, uh, she just graduated with her master's and is waiting for her state license. But, like, it's slow, obviously, due to what's happened uh, with the yeah. pandemic. And, like, Congratulations uh, to her. Oh, thanks. And I just think that, like, 
low praise to her and all women. I, I don't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't wake up every morning and go to work and all that. I just. I, I know guys at my work and guys I I have talked with. They're. It's strange. Like I'm asked, like, oh, who does the cooking and who who does the laundry? And I I always look at that and I'm just thinking, like, am I the only weirdo here? Because we're <laughs> we're partners. We do things together. Yeah, that's great. And I, I just, uh, I don't know. I try just going along with the whole, like, you know, open your fucking head up and stop being the caveman. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, enough of that. Um, Brennan, did you have one more question? I actually, just real quick before we move on, I was going to say that um, with Eddie opening up uh, the call to Women First for that series, not only should you know does he deserve that applause for doing that but the if i remember right the backlash was actually pretty loud and he really stood up and um just had no time for it no you know i'm not gonna change my opinion and if you don't like it you can promptly go fuck yourself (laughs) absolutely (laughs) honestly that's what i love about eddie he literally he honestly he is just like I'm in Canada. I'm untouchable. (laughs) (laughs) And he, you know, he did the, um, he did the logo. For Uh, Frat Girl Summer? Yeah. Oh, okay. Now now that I'm thinking of it, actually, um, we we were going to ask you that, um, but it it does definitely bear a little artistic resemblance to like the Rewind or Die icon. Yeah. Nope. I have that in my notes because it looks really, really cool. And for those that have not seen it, by the way, go to FrankGriddleSummer.com. Um, it is a skull. Uh, yeah, it's a skull about a horror thing, but it's a lot different than other skulls. The way that the line work is in it, it's very cool. It almost looks like vampiric teeth. And it's yeah. got this. Uh, it's got. So that's up your alley. <laughs> yeah. And it's got this blue nose ring and a blue bandana. And it just looks like. Uh, just like a badass female skeleton. <laughs> I have to add a funny story about that. So Violet and I were brainstorming what that yeah. looked like. And we knew she had to have earrings. And so and so and then I said, Well, why 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 doesn't she have earrings? And then Violet goes, Yeah, she can have hoop earrings. And then she goes, but wait, skulls don't have ears. <laughs> and, so, and so then we were like, oh, and then I think I maybe said a nose stud, and then Violet said a septum piercing. And so mm. that, that's what we came up with. And what's funny is I saw um, a gif the next day of a skeleton with hoop earrings, and I was about to send it. <laughs> I like the yeah. better anyway. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's pronounced GIF. Holy shit! I've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. I've been saying you know, GIF. I, it's I pretty, say GIF too. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's always this debate online: is it GIF or is it GIF? I, I I've just been saying GIF the whole time. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who are like, I'm not going to read her books anymore because she says <laughs> GIF. <with coffee." laughs> uh, you know, the, you know, the little moving image. That's what. <laughs> You know, I'll speak for Brennan here. For anyone that says that, Brennan says, go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's like the best there thing go. right now. Brilliant. <laughs> um, I was very excited to see who your featured artist is uh, for the Freight Girl Summer. It is our very own Ellen Avigliano, and she yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Look, I'm not taking anything away from anyone else, but like she's my go-to person for educating my ass pretty much on a daily basis, and she's always very, very excited, enthusiastic about it. Oh, she's wonderful. She's, she, you know, she's been a real champion. She's a sweetheart. Uh, you know, it was really great. You know, she got in touch with us and provided all her material. So it's been awesome to see. And uh, we hope other artists will reach out. And um, yeah, she's great. I know that she, um, and I don't want to speak for her, so I apologize, Ellen. <laughs> but she, I know she knows a lot of other artists, uh, especially in the New Jersey area. And they, uh, I've seen some of their artwork. It's it's excellent. It's top notch. So yeah. just some, something to think about. No, we definitely, the artists are also an open call. Like, uh, we we definitely want people to submit uh, their art if they would like to be featured um, on our website, so. Yeah, if they have, an, you know, anything like uh, an Etsy shop or uh, we definitely want to um, promote them and, yeah, put those coins in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Like, to clarify, it's just all, all we would post would be, like, you know, a bio uh, your social media information, and then like a sampling of your artwork that you'd be willing to send us, um, you know, and then as you saw with with her feature, you know, it's like just small images that are in a gallery. So, you know, we want to we want to promote you is what I'm saying. That's awesome. Um, Brennan, unless you got any other questions about Fright Girl Summer. Uh, I do. I have one really obnoxious one. So I'm sorry about this, but that's uh, all right. Okay, cool. You don't even know what it is yet. It could be really awesome. So, you know, obviously it's got summer in the title, but have you guys had any discussions or thoughts about what happens come September? Is Does this become an annual thing? Do you leave it up so people have access to everything going on there and just not take submissions? Uh, I mean, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think it all depends on, uh, you know, if if people keep I, – I won't take the website down because I think it could be a good resource. Um, but I, I think it just see, – we'll see how the momentum goes. And um, I think, you know, at the moment uh, there's so many uncertainties. Things are moving quickly. Um, I want to just take it day by day and see what happens. But yeah, I would love to do it. If it could be expanded, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You know, I actually have one more question to add to that. Yeah. Um, since it's a summertime thing, I know when I was a kid, I used to go crazy for the summer list in the in, in my local library. I was curious if, if that's maybe a possibility down the line to have a just targeted towards um, children's books? Hmm. I, uh, I mean, I don't, I know it sounds awful. I have three children, but I don't have children's books. But uh, <laughs> they are not into the uh, scary stuff. So my teen, he is not into the scary stuff. I think I've said this in, a, in another, um, on Monster Men, but, you know, my, well, he'll be 14 soon. Oh, my God. Basically, <laughs> one, uh, new year's day a very hungover new year's day he he begged me begged me begged me 
to watch the ring. And I was like, all right, you know, I mean, I was just too hungover to say no. <laughs> he he won't watch anything horror now. He refuses oh. to watch any horror with me. That is a creepy movie. <laughs> so I said I told him, but now he's like, oh, no. Um, and he doesn't like scary books either. Um, and then the little one. Uh, he's, he's still too small. And then the little, little one is definitely too small. So um, they're mostly reading. They're like reading school books to read um, every day, which aren't very interesting. So, yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't expand it that way. Do you like speaking horror movies? Speak- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, um, speaking for myself, though, I mean, that'd be something I'd be interested in looking at further for like a next iteration of the summer reading list um i actually am pretty familiar with scary kids books because i grew up reading them uh but you know i think what's what's cool about the ones i read at least is it's not so much that they're scary but they're just more fun horror and so you know it's great for like little kids like I was, you know, was just kind of into scary things. But, you know, when you were in school, you weren't really getting books like funny books about ghosts or witches or anything like that. It was all either like old colonial ghost stories or nothing. And so, um, yeah, I think uh, I think there's some potential for that. But and, you know, there's some good series out there. and, And I would even include like novelizations of like the hotel transylvania series or something like that which i'm 34 and i love those movies (laughs) oh they're so cute i love them too they're so funny like (laughs) my kids do like those so that's it yeah yeah i mean there's there's definitely room to grow it if someone uh who's really into like middle grade and ya horror um or speculative fiction said hey I would totally be into doing this. Yeah, I would I would let them go for it. But um, uh, at the moment, I just don't have the time to commit to that a whole nother um, uh, age age group. That's a very fair answer. (laughs) Uh, If it's if it's okay, I'd like to actually pivot to uh, Sonora now because you have a book coming out at the end of June. It's uh, the 23rd, isn't it? Yes, June 23rd. Yes, all it's right. It's good. So, I read it. I, it's good. It's good. Everybody, <laughs> you got to read it. <laughs> I read it too, and I will absolutely vouch for that. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh-huh. when I, If I write a review, I like to go light on synopsis and stay away from anything spoilerly, spoilery. Uh, and I, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know what it was. Maybe I was just really excited to share the experience, but I had trouble writing that one up. Uh, so I'm going to push it off to you, Sonora, to give us the uh, synopsis so I don't give away too much. Sure. Um, yeah, no, it's about it's based on a story idea I actually had for almost three years before I finally wrote it, where I thought it would be interesting that, you know, a girl discovers she see, she sees the dead, you know, like that I see dead people idea, but none of them actually want to talk to her, you know, like, as in all these movies, they're like haunting the kid and the kid doesn't want the ability. But like in this one, the kid like wants to know why. And they're all like you know, very adamantly not wanting to speak to her. (laughs) So, um, you know, that was just the initial idea. But then, yeah, it's a story about, you know, a girl named Abby who discovers that she can see the dead because she sees a ghost in an abandoned locker. 
But, you know, she can't get answers about why this is happening or why they don't want to speak to her because, you know, Catch-22, they won't talk to her. So on to- so with that going on, she goes to her uncle's house for um, her annual summer visit. And um, it's there she's probably going to find the answers. But she may not like what she finds out. So... And that's, I think, just kind of the synopsis there. It's like there's, it's a mystery involved with, with the psychic ability she has, but without being too spoilery, it definitely follows like the more kind of gothic storytelling where it's the, like the ghosts are not the scariest part or the darkest part of the story. There's, there's more to it than just seeing the ghosts. And I, and I love the, um, the, you know, cause the way you, explain the synopsis is 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 kind of how i thought of it at first too where you get a couple sentences into that elevator pitch and it gets a laugh it's funny you know she sees ghosts but they you know they don't they run away from her they don't want anything to do with her but it's you know and it kind of that's that's the surface level but you get through it and you know i one of the biggest things i loved about it is you close the book and you're not done with it. You, you, there's, there's stuff that you have to process, you know, um, assuming that you were kind of thrust into the role of everything that happens. There's stuff you kind of have to work out to how would I, how would I deal with that as a teenager? How would I deal with that as an adult? Um, And I won't go any further for, for fear of ruining that experience for somebody, but it's, it's, it's a book I'm, Really happy to recommend it. I hope a lot of people will pick it up at the end of the month. Thank you. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. Um, you know, yeah, it's definitely like it's funny you mentioned like, you know, you their first elevator pitch is funny, but then like it just kind of goes like darker because that is kind of how a lot of my stories start. It's usually just something I think it, I find funny or amusing it's and then it just ends up you know turning a dark corner like that's how without condition was started as well because I first got the idea um by thinking like uh well actually like I'll try and keep this concise because it's getting a little spirally but like um I actually was inspired by an article about uh the lead singer of Ghost who he revealed his true identity because his mom couldn't stop bragging about him to her friends in Sweden. And so he <laughs> figured it was going to get out anyway. And so, you know, I'm laughing because, you know, Tobias and Ghost, I mean, what he does is he gets up on stage in this giant demonic Pope outfit and sings like satanic metal anthems. And I was imagining his mom going around like, that's my boy. (laughs) And and so from there, like, I was thinking, okay, well, what if like this was happening with a mom that was like, you know, proud of their child, but like, it was really something they shouldn't be like, they were a serial killer. And then from there, I was like, (laughs) well, you know, what if the serial killer was a woman? And then, you know, I went from there. And so like, the whole idea of her mother, like being proud of her accomplishments and putting them on a cork board, like drawings or, or spelling tests was funny. And but then the story itself actually ended up being really, really dark, (laughs) you know, just about like, the ideas of love and familial control and stuff like that. So, you know, I, that, I guess that's just like a running theme between the two. (laughs) 
Now, the you you had mentioned in the afterward that even though this is your shortest book, it probably took you the longest to write because you just wrote it in little pieces. Is there any reason as as far as the content or anything that that? It, well, it was less the content and more just like life things happening. Um, there was a death in the family, and uh, my husband was having surgery, and. Uh, this was all happening over the course of the summer uh, while I was working on the piece. So I think I just wasn't really like in the mental space to be working on it. And then, you know, when I got it back for editing, we'd just been put into, uh, you know, lockdown. So, you know, Corona was just starting up in the States. And so that was preoccupying my mind. So it was just like, all these external forces, but, um, you know, I did find ways to write it. I uh, wrote, uh, sorry if any of my coworkers are listening to this, but I wrote it a lot while I was at work in, in between work tasks, because that was really just like the only time I could sit down get in, and get into the headspace and write it for some reason. Like I didn't want to work on it when I was at home and I didn't want to work on it before breakfast, like I'd done with it without condition. So, yeah, I think and that was one of the reasons I actually wrote a piece for the horror tree about, you know, pay attention to when, you know, if you're if your personal inkwell is running dry, sometimes you need to just like slow down and let it replenish. And so seeing things was kind of a lesson in that regard for me just to be like, look, it's okay if you're not writing like one or two thousand words a day because there's a lot going on. That's interesting. Me and Brendan talked to um, Todd Keeslin last week, and he had the same exact sentiments. He said that, um, and Brendan, correct me if I'm misquoting him, basically, or I'm paraphrasing that, he uh, he takes the weekends off to recharge. Mm-hmm. And it got me and Brendan thinking. We talked after the show was recorded, and we kind of... Felt like he unintentionally gave me and him permission to not wreck our brains, like because Brandon's working on stories often, I'm working on my own, and we just talk about it and whatnot. And uh, I, I think that that's something a lot of writers get in their head, like you have to keep doing this, you have to keep. Eventually, it'll pay off. Um, do, do you ever? What, what reached you to that conclusion of uh, that it's okay to take breaks, and if you can. Do you have any advice for new writers? Probably just like taking a step out of my own brain and looking at the context for why I was writing more slowly. Because, you know, when it wasn't coming to me as fast, my first thought was, oh, no, I went through like three years of a lot of output and now I'm drying up and it's not going to I'm never going to write again. And it's going to end. You know, I peaked with book number two and like <laughs> and and so when I took a step back from that, I'm like, you know, Sonora, there's been like a lot going on. Actually, you know, not to be like, here's another woe is going through. But one of the big things I forgot to mention of last summer as well is my husband and I closed on a condo and uh, we're moving. So that was another part of it, too. Like, you know, you have three big stresses and so I just had to take that step back and be like you know Sonora like yeah it's okay if you're not going to write as quickly especially because like look at everything you've done and so one of the things I would recommend for new writers especially new writers that have already written is to keep lists of what you've completed because it puts into form like into word form what you've done and you know when I think about my work in the abstract it's hard for me to think that 
you know, oh, I've accomplished a lot this year. But when I write out like each title of a story I wrote or like each book I, I finished, I'm like, okay, no, maybe this is actually a lot, <laughs> you know, like, you know, yeah. putting it to numbers, like, and even if it's not a lot, you know, that's okay. Everyone writes at their own pace. And, you know, if a story is meant to be written, it'll be written. I started the earliest version of seeing things, I think in 2016. Um, I, I, it was originally going to be a short story and it was going to be, you know, very different from how the novel turned out, but you know, something always felt missing. And so I set it aside and then I, you know, wrote a couple short story collections I wrote without condition. And then, you know, while little paranoia was out for edits, you know, I got an idea on how to expand the story to be about the girl's family as well. And then, you know, it turned into a novel and then I wrote it from start to finish. So, you know, I would say like, you know, if it's meant to be written, it'll be written. If you, even if you like just open up a document and write a sentence, or even if you proofread, that counts as writing for the day. Working on your website can count as working on your writing. Like there's a lot of different ways to say you worked on your writing today. I don't Absolutely. know if you want to add anything, Violet, to that. Um, no, I actually have to bounce, so uh, oh. but I will. No, sorry, um, but I will. Um, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I'm a bit of a, it's, it's a school night. And I have to get up early to do the school run. <laughs> Isn't it late there? Because it's like, yeah, it's just after 10. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, no, I, I would say, uh, yeah, I do think you have to give yourself breaks. I, I personally, I write whenever I can because I never know what it's going to be like with the kids and they want me to pay attention to them and be with them because they're kids. <laughs> Plus, uh, you know, laundry and cooking and cleaning and all the other things, um, that need to be done groceries. Um, so I do it whenever I can, but I also, um, I'm quite a driven person and I, I feel I put a lot of pressure on myself to um, meet some of the submission deadlines. Um, I guess, I, you know, one of the kind of chips on my shoulder that I have is that, um, you know, uh, when opportunities arise, I, I feel like I can't say no or I can't uh, let them go because I never know when they'll come around again, especially being you know, the type of stories I write. So if I see something that's going to be a, a fit, I feel like I really need to do this or, oh, this publisher is going to close submissions for a long time. Um, I, I need to get something in because I don't know when those opportunities are going to come around again. And I know my chances in general are much smaller than other people. So I feel a lot of pressure to write as much as I can. Violet, not to put any more pressure on you, but before you leave, I do think we should tell um, tell them about how we're both in an anthology coming out next month. Oh, yes. Graveyard Smash. Um, that's coming out in July. So y'all need to get that. That um, Yeah, I have a Latinx horror story, Templo Mayor. So it's... And I have a... I have a ghost story in there that uh, Brennan and Violet might recognize because they read Seeing Things called The Clockmaker. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's uh, that's from Candisha. I think I'm saying that right. Maybe yeah, I'm not. Candisha. 
Yeah, yeah their first anthology, Under Her Black Wings, is really, really excellent. I'm, I'm looking forward oh, cool. to this one. Cool. Well, I look forward to uh, hearing what you guys think. And I'm just going to plug it real quick. Um, Lockdown, uh, the anthology, um, it's to benefit the uh, BINC Foundation, which helps uh, booksellers um, because of COVID. And I actually have a short story in there. It drops June 16th. Um, called (laughs) asylum basically it's uh what happens when america doesn't exist the wall was built but uh and uh the amount of melanin in your skin does matter but not for the reasons you might think so um yeah so i hope you guys will check out that uh anthology drops in like a week and it is for charity and one more time before you go, Violet, you also definitely want to plug uh, Worst Lead Plans, which comes out oh, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, actually. <laughs> August, August. So end Is of it the August? Summer. Yes. And where can people follow you? Oh, uh, at V Latina London, Insta and Twitter. V, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Honestly, thank you so much for having us on and promoting Fright Girl Summer. I know, you know, Snore and I both, it's really important and we're enthusiastic, but, you know, we want people to um, feel welcome and and guys can get involved too. Uh, you know, reviews, video, uh, readings, mm-hmm. book challenges. Um, so, yeah. We actually just put up a reading from C.J. Bow. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he was reading a passage from The Forgotten Girl by India Hill Brown. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I've I've talked with CJ a little bit. Seems like a pretty nice guy. Oh, he's really nice, and he, yeah, he's he writes as well. That's awesome. Oh, I guess we gotta look into that. Thanks for uh, yeah. adding more books to my TBR. <laughs> <laughs> and because you guys are Irish, definitely check out um, uh, "Hell Chose Me" by Angel Luis Colon. Uh, it was oh. just nominated for an Anthony Award, and it's really good because he's got Irish roots, but he's Puerto Rican. Yeah, I've heard him talk on Inkeist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely should get his book, Hell Chose Me. Chose Me. Okay, I'll write that down. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, Fee, unless you got anything else to say, I really appreciate your time. No, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you for and, staying up late for us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank no you. No problem, no problem. You guys stay healthy, stay safe, um, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, Sonora. Tomorrow yeah, I'll talk to you soon. I'll send you an email in the morning. Sounds good. All right, everyone. Take care. Bye. Have a good one. Thank Bye. you. Thank you for listening, everybody. Take <laughs> care. Uh, Sonora, uh, would you like to continue? Um, can you remind me the question I was continuing from, or are you just saying continue in general? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> in general. I just wanted to make okay, sure yeah, that you were down to continue. <laughs> Um, yeah, That's, maybe just like a, one or two more questions. I, I myself, sure. um, yeah, so that sounds good. Um, okay, well, if I had to pick one question, V kind of answered it, but um, how can male authors or male readers uh, help with um, just in general? The uh, how do I word this? Brennan, help me out, buddy. How do I word this? How can uh, male did you say authors or? I said male authors or writers, readers in general, reviewers. 
How can they help with Freight Girl Summer? Well, definitely by sharing the website and um, sharing the content by retweeting us, but also by just sharing it themselves and sharing their ideas about it, you know, like, um, you know, so that their followers can see can see what they have to say about it. Um, we also uh, welcome and encourage, like we mentioned before, um, film yourself doing readings of of women authors, of authors of color. Um, doing uh, re reviews of works by women and um, doing like if you write an if you yeah like just just if you can present yourself showcasing the work of women that would be the way to get your name on Fright Girl Summer I hope that makes sense absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Okay. awesome <laughs> Uh, mildly related to that, um, you had done, I believe, an online class about uh, teaching men how to write women. I was wondering if you could tell yeah. us a little bit about how that came about. Well, um, it came about, uh, it started like with all of my stuff now, I'm realizing as a joke, <laughs> because um, I, like there was a a passage that was a particularly heinous on the men write women account and myself and John Edward Lawson, who's the co-editor of uh, raw dog screaming press um, were chatting about how awful the passage was. And uh, to give a little context before I do the next part, I was a um, early contributor to all access con um, so, you know, I was participating in some of the sessions I, I, uh, provided funding in the Kickstarter, um, and I'm a evergreen, like, vendor, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for, vendor in their table section in All Access Con. So, you know, we were talking back and forth, and as such, I said, hey, you know, maybe I should run a class in All Access Con about how to write women, um, and John was like, yes, I think that'd be a great class. I think you should do it. So uh, we talked about it and we did it. I put together a PowerPoint. Um, I know there's been a lot going on, but I think eventually it'll be available as a pre-recorded session that people can watch. We're also going to have a follow-up workshop where, where someone who's feeling brave or multiple people who are feeling brave will submit their piece where they've written women and open themselves to a live like writing session. You know, I don't want to immediately say critique, even though there may be critiques, <laughs> but you know, like if you're in a, in a writing group, it, it would be similar to that. And um, so that should be coming soon. And yeah, it was a really good class. It went well. A lot of people had good questions. My mom came. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it, I really enjoyed teaching it. And, you know, one of the things I like about doing stuff like that is I have a lot of, you know, thoughts on stuff, but a lot of times they feel like they're just swimming in my brain. And it's when I can sit down and like do them in a PowerPoint or in an essay or something, they come together better. And so... That that was a I was grateful for that opportunity with uh, All Access Con. That's awesome. I, I don't know that I could be uh, brave enough to submit my own writing for that, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, the fact that you're even thinking about it, I'm sure it's not nearly as bad as some of the worst published things I've seen. Like, if you ever want. Like, honestly, just how to not write in addition to how to not write women. Look up Sean Penn's book. 
No, he he has a published piece of fiction, like, and it has a terrible title. I don't even remember it, but like, my morning was made the day that the passages started getting onto Twitter, and people were like, "Wow, this is horrible." And then, you know, of course, all I think to myself is, "How did this guy get like a million dollar publishing deal when like there are so many better writers out there not even getting a chance?" So, <laughs> I've seen that account that you were talking about. Um... The Twitter account, I forget what you, should, I forget the name of it. The one where it's real men writing about women. And, yeah, uh, it's called Men Write Women. And I think it's like men underscore write underscore women. Like, I don't know if it's meant to be funny, but I always laugh at it because it's yeah. so bad. They always describe, like, if I write, I write women, I write people outside of my race and sex. And the thing I always do, they're fucking people just like me. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I normally... Sometimes I do, but normally I don't even describe, the unless it serves a purpose, I don't describe the race or skin color. And sometimes I don't even describe much about them um, until later drafts, if it, ser- again, serves a purpose. But uh, I'm not like like a 16-year-old horny boy, like her boobs were like watermelons, or they were like bags of sand. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, it's so bad that I had a whole section in the PowerPoint about like stop... <laughs> stop like stressing on boobs <laughs> like you know it's just like you can mention like you can just put in there she had nice boobs and you don't have to like get into a whole paragraph about it you know like it's it's not that we mind that they're mentioned it's just when it's like at ridiculous levels you know and yeah like you said you sound like a horny teenage boy yeah one that that definitely lacks a lot of things and uh yeah. <laughs> Well, one of the things that, you know, always drives me crazy and, and, you know, I mentioned this in the class as well, is that um, when men write women, a lot of times, like, it doesn't matter who the woman is, like, her, somehow her sex appeal needs to be noted or the lack thereof, like, and it's just, they cannot introduce a woman without mentioning whether or not, like, in so many words, they want to fuck her, and... (laughs) It's just like it's it's so disappointing. Like it's just like surely there are women you've met in your life that you don't think that, and even if there isn't, you don't need to put that in writing. Like <laughs> no, um, George. To get off tracks a little bit, um, I I love watching authors talk. Uh, I like I got big into Game of Thrones, the show, and uh, mm-hmm. I just like listening to George R. R. Martin talk about. I like listening to creators talk about how they came up with stuff and whatnot and he says a lot of times i'm asked how i write women and he goes well you know i write it like it's a man except it's a woman because they're both people and you know that's how (laughs) yeah and i mean that's a great way to approach it uh sometimes and then there's other times where you know maybe have a woman read it and see like if it rings true i know with stephen king's first book carrie there's that famous story where he threw it in the trash and Tabitha, his wife took it out and was like, well, why aren't you finishing this story? And he's like, well, I just don't know how to write teenage girls. And she's like, well, look, I can help you. Mm. And I, I think though, you know, sometimes there's the fear of like, well, we don't want this person who isn't us reading this character that isn't us because we're afraid we're going to offend them. But would you rather them re- rather have the audience reading it cold or would you rather like have, you know, a beta reader tell you like, no, this isn't good or no, I think you should change this. And, 
you know, I think that's valuable to the writing process. Yeah. And uh, recently, I I don't know if you saw it, but L. Turpit on uh, our Deadhead Reviews wrote something, an article today for Pride and Horror Month. And she, she actually talked about how uh, it's kind of important to have sensitivity readers. Um, mm-hmm. I never thought of that. And I'm just like, that's really, geez, that would make my story a whole lot better. So, like... I don't know why more writers wouldn't want to get a better, well-crafted, more in-depth story. I think it just kind of comes down to that you don't get to tell me what to do mentality. And I <laughs> think it I think it comes a lot from people who are used to not being told no. So it's usually like people like a descending staircase of privilege that is like in an indirect indirectly proportionate to how willing you are to have people tell you to rethink what you've written mm, that makes sense that's uh that's the internet um, <laughs> Brandon, Brandon, I will say, um one piece of advice i want to give in that regard is that um when i do send a piece to my beta readers mm-hmm. i always include the question is there anything in here glaringly insensitive or problematic that has no place in the story i'm gonna steal that if that's right because that's no brilliant. i I want people to steal that because that that's a, a great way, uh, in my opinion, a great way to approach it, um, it, you know, it early in the process before you start putting it out there for people to buy and read. That's great. Um, Brendan, uh, before we wrap this up, did you have one more? I believe you said you had another question. Uh, yeah. So let's let's kind of leave it at um, your your reading list, uh, Fright Girl Summer's reading list. Is there anything um, on that list, from that list, meant to be on that list that you're reading now or are planning to read uh, coming up here that you want to share? Yeah, um, I just finished um, America's First Female Serial Killer by Mary Kay McBrayer. Mm. That was wonderful. I would highly recommend that. Um, it's about Jane Toppin, who, as the title said, was the America's First Female Serial Killer. She was a nurse that would poison her patients. And um, it was really well written. It, it was, I'm, you know, despite what I write about, I'm actually not that into true crime. I have a lot of like conflicted feelings about the, about it as a genre. Like I, I'm interested in reading about serial killers, but the way true crime tends to frame it is usually, I don't really like it, especially, I don't really like like the unsolved mysteries quality behind it where it, it, it tends, it sometimes reads as being exploitive of the victims to try and set up suspense you know but again that's you know my opinion and no offense to anyone who likes true crime i know a lot of lovely people who love true crime it's you know difference of opinion but you know and it's kind of funny because in her introduction she was saying yeah this book ended up being more about Toppin and not about her victims and i realized that that's not you know may not be everyone's cup of tea and I'm like well that's exactly my cup of tea because that's the type of true crime I enjoy reading because for me it's less about like really showing the heinousness of the crime because I think that's a given but I more want to look at like the mentality that goes behind their doings as well as the way I think our culture can sometimes allow that to happen especially with people like you know for instance Ted Bundy who like how many times was he you know being creepy but people were saying like oh well you know he's just a go-getter he's just you know doing this and 
especially more so the way he would get women into his car is by preying on the fact that women are taught to be polite and to say yes, even when they're uncomfortable, you know, like he'd say, Oh, I'm, you know, I really need help getting into my car. Can you come help me? And, and uh, a side note, it's interesting because I read this and my mother, when I was growing up, would really vehemently say to me, if anyone comes up to you and says, I need help, come to my car, don't go. Or if anyone knocks on the car door and says, I need help, don't go. And I was just thinking, okay, that must just be a thing. And then I was reading The Stranger Beside Me, which is another book that I like. And um, I'm like, oh, that's why mom kept telling me all this stuff. (laughs) This is what Ted Bundy used to do. And around the time he was really, you know, getting into the news was around the time I was born. So, you know, but anyway, I was a big sidetrack from America's First Female Serial Killer. But I would highly recommend reading that one. It's very well done. The book I'm reading right now is not is not in the horror genre, but after I finish this one, I'm going to read Cirque Berserk by Jessica Guess, and I'm really excited about that one. That's a good segue. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to have her on in uh, this Thursday. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. No, she's awesome. I, um, I can't wait to read the story, and I've interviewed her before on my site. She's really cool. Um, I, I can't wait to read her book. She seems like a lovely person, and uh, we're really looking towards talking with her. Um, just a book, in case you haven't heard of it, uh, Mindhunter, the nonfiction book by John Douglas and Mark uh, Olshaker. I probably fucked that last name up, but <laughs> they're the two FBI agents that were um, responsible for curating and interviewing uh, serial killers in the 70s and uh, basically documenting it, and it's... I like that, too. I like the psychological, um, basically, like, the psychology behind how they think. My wife is a social worker, and she's she's educated the shit out of me over the last seven years, and um, I, I kind of, I'm hooked on that stuff, too. Yeah. No, that sounds great. Um, and then just one other recommendation I'll leave with you is um, My Friend Dahmer by Durf Back Durf. That's a graphic novel about, and about... It's his true story, Backdurf's true story about how Jeffrey Dahmer was his classmate. Oh, that was a uh, wasn't that a movie recently? Yes, it was a movie with some kid that was on the Disney Channel. And there's <laughs> this trend of kids from the Disney Channel playing serial killers because Zac Efron played Ted Bundy in that Netflix uh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I had a friend that I skated uh, for Disney on Ice, so I guess uh, guess it won't be surprising seeing him. He's a he's a and. And I'm not being snarky, just to be clear for that one dummy that might say this, I'm not being, like, snarky or poking fun, but he's a super flamboyantly gay Asian kid, and if he were to play a serial killer, I'd be interested in that. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Brendan, I just wanted to see if you had any books that you would suggest real quick, because one that we, um, me and him love, is uh, True Crime by Samantha Koyesnik. We thought that was a great one. Yeah, that one was really good. I loved that book. Yeah. I don't think I've talked to anyone who didn't really, you know, find that book an experience. It's it, it's it's going to be one of the top of the year, no question. Absolutely. Um, but, sorry, did I cut you off again? <laughs> so I, I guess I would also say I started um, uh, Let's Play White by Cheshire Burke yesterday, Ooh. and that's... Ooh. 
That's one I have been meaning to pick up ever since the cheesy and shit hit the fan. Um, and thank you guys for the excuse to do so. <laughs> it's um, so good. I, I, I love that collection. I loved the opening story. I'm going to, as soon as we get off here, I'm going to hit story number two on my Kindle. But uh, the Walter and the three-legged king was, oh, yes. my God. That little rat, man. I, I still I still see him and hear him, you know. <laughs> um, and it's, it's it's such a cool mix of this, like, kind of uh, surreal, supernatural horror. I guess I'd lump the rat into supernatural. Uh, and, and then it just gets very real all of a sudden. Um, mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I, I mean, if that's, if, even if that was the only story in the book, I'd still be happy to recommend it. Um, and I've got... Um, I'm probably going to butcher her name. I feel terrible. But uh, Tanana Reef Do, uh, I've got her Ghost Summer coming in, and I'm going to jump into that right away. I read um, My Soul to Take, My Soul to Keep, which I, I can't remember the exact title, but I read it as part of the um, Summer Scares program last year. And it, it's funny because I, I read the synopsis, and I, I I wasn't sure if it would be for me, but I, I ended up loving it. It was, you know, she is such a writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she also recently released an annotated screenplay of Get Out with Jordan Peele. Uh, and so I'd be interested in checking that out, especially, you know, like since I mentioned before, film studies person. So, but yeah, I definitely want to read more work from her in the future. I saw that. I had no idea she was involved with that. Well, yeah, because one of the things, um, one of many things she's known for is that she was one of the first professors to teach a class about get out. And, you know, a lot of people ended up tweeting about that. And so, yeah. And now she's worked on this annotated screenplay. I think that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Patrick, anything you want to share besides the book that you can't pronounce? (laughs) No, just uh, one more book I was going to talk about. There's I, I looked at the list. There's so many books that I uh, want to read. There's authors I don't know yet that I want to put in my repertoire. That will happen over time. I'm reading one book at a time very slowly. But uh, Crossroads by Laurel Hightower. Brandon and I cannot wait to get our hands on that. It looks amazing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that, too. I, I really liked Whispers in the Dark. Uh, Whispers in the Dark <laughs> legitimately made me cry at the end with the uh-huh. epilogue. Um, I don't know if you talk about kids and happy stuff more so than sad, uh, even sad. I just, I don't know. Hits me in the feel good spot. Um, so Sonora, one more time for people to hear, what is your book coming out and when is it coming out? Yes. So my next book is called Seeing Things and it's coming out June 23rd in ebook and paperback. Uh, I'll be tweeting about it a lot so you can follow me, um, at, at Sonora writes on twitter and i'm also at sonora taylor on instagram and for anyone that wants to check out the frightgirlsummer.com anyone that has a uh uh lack of knowledge in female authors lgbtq plus community authors uh black women authors and so on i highly highly recommend going to frightgirlsummers.com and uh following through with that list because you'll probably be a better person for it (laughs) Sonora. And one more uh, Sonora, Sonora Taylor plug. If you have not read Little Paranoias, that was a top-tier collection last year. Get on that immediately. That's another book. Yeah, that's another book I have not heard one bad thing about. 
Well, get on it immediately. That's what I just said. Oh, <laughs> damn it, Pat. Sonora, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. No, thank you for having uh, me and Violet on here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, and I hope this goes without saying, but in the future, we would love to have you on again. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, let me know and um, be happy to do it. I mean, not getting too far into the plugs, but I know I'm hoping to release another short story collection in 2021. So, and even between stuff like that, if you ever just want to chat, I'm here. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't see why not. Um, you know what? That's all I got. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> so, thank you for your time again. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Alright, see ya. Bye. Bye everyone. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leaving Deadhead Space.